turning to Second Chronicles, please, and chapter 32. Second Chronicles, chapter 32. And then we'll be turning to another scripture later on. I want you to open your Bibles there at the end of the chapter. And I'll show you in a moment what, what we're doing. Second Chronicles chapter 32, if you've, got, if you've got the place. I wonder how many believers tonight watching and listening know anything about what the godly King Hezekiah experienced at the end of this verse, at the end of verse 31 in the 32nd chapter of Second Chronicles. I want to repeat that again. I wonder how many of us as believers listening and hearing tonight know anything about what the godly king Hezekiah experienced at the end of verse 31 of the 32nd chapter of Second Chronicles. God left him. Now, it's a good job that it doesn't stop there for the king. But you know, it stopped there for many kings. It stopped there for King Saul. It stopped there for King Herod. And I trust and hope, or maybe it has stopped there for our own king. The Lord has left him. But thank God the text goes on. God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. Let's read it again. That he might know all that was in his heart. Now, it wasn't that the omniscient God didn't know what was in the heart of the king. And certainly, the king didn't know what was in his own heart because the Word of God tells us that the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. And that word is woefully and incurably wicked. But the heart of the king is in the hand of God like the rivers of water, and he turneth it whithersoever it goes. Now, in order to teach and to humble Hezekiah, and in order to teach and test and try and sift us there has to be an exposure of our heart. 
There has to be a diagnostic scanning of our heart. Not the flashlight, not the searchlight, but the spotlight. And God has to place the spotlight into the very depth of our hearts in order that he can test us and try us and use us and bless us and it can be very, very searching indeed. The psalmist in Psalm 39 says, commence, thou hast searched me. And he ends that psalm with, search me and know my heart and try my thoughts. That word is dig deep. Friend, God has to dig deep into our hearts at times because we don't know what's going on really ourselves there. Only he knows. For he knows the deep things of the heart. And whenever the spotlight of God rests upon us, we need to take heed to what he, he would reveal to us. Now, why did God temporarily withdraw his presence, not his spirit, but his presence from this godly king, Hezekiah? He says, I will never leave thee or forsake thee, and his spirit will not be taken from a believer. We sing that hymn sometimes, but we need to be sure we know what we're singing. Return, O holy dove, return. Sweet messenger of rest, I hate the sins that drove you from my breast. Well, the real believer and the genuine believer can't, uh, spirit can't be driven from his breast, but that's not what we're after tonight. Why did he take his presence? And one of the most greatest and loveliest things that I have found over the years is the presence of God in a place or in a life. Now, why did he withdraw his presence from him? Well, he has just won one of the greatest victories probably in the, his, in the history of Israel. And if you read Second Kings, this where we're Second Kings and Second Chronicles, where we're reading, you will discover that hundreds of thousands of Assyrians surrounded Hezekiah and his people in Jerusalem. They mustered on the mountains round about hundreds of thousands of them, and just as they were about to launch their attack at night, God sent one angel. Leonard Ravenhill said one angel was going home and he dipped his wing too low and he struck 185,000 of them and in the morning there were corpses on the mountains. That's just happened. And it happened because of the prayers of godly, the godly man and Isaiah and others. Now what happened Hezekiah after that? Did God, did, did, was he granted the Victoria Cross? 
Was he honored with the king's knighthood or elevated to the House of Lords or to some prestigious position? No, look at verse 24 of this chapter because you'll see here what happened to him. Now I want you to have your Bibles open. This second Second Chronicles chapter 24. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 24. Sorry. 32, verse 24. And you need to read Second Kings as well sometime to get the context. In those days, Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord and he spake unto him and he gave him a sign. Now if you read the record of this in Second Kings, you'll discover that he got to bed. He discovered boils. I think more than one boil. And he discovered, sometimes we say he's discovered the lumps. After this great victory, And he went to bed and he turned his face to the wall, the scripture says, and he wept. Kings can weep too, you know. And he turned his face to the wall and he wept and God sent Isaiah to him and Isaiah came to him with a word from God, set thine house in order for thou shalt die and thou shalt not live. After the mighty victory, What's God saying to you tonight through that thought alone? What did God say to me when I read this text tonight and thought to myself, how could this be? And I want to say to you tonight and those that are watching and listening tonight, just because you're riding high in the charts at the minute, and just because you're on the crest of the wave, And just because everything's going well and victorious maybe, and maybe you've won a few spoils and the partnership and the relationship and the fellowship and all's going well, and all's well with your health and all's well with your family and all's well with your job, beware, beware. Because the day can turn very quickly. You could be in bed tomorrow like Hezekiah with your face turned to the wall. You could have been elevated a day to the height. As children of God, we don't know what God does and the way he does it. God putting him into the sieve to sift him. He's putting him into the sieve to sift him and to try him, to rattle out a few things out of him. To test him and to shake him and to train him for the next plan of his for him. So don't despair tonight that if all's dark in your Christian journey, Don't despair tonight with health or family or anything else if you're following the Lord. 
is part of the training and the testing and the afflicting and the trial and the molding as the potter's hand squeezes. Job says, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, now tonight in this second of our series, Surviving the Sifting, we're looking at young Joseph, and we're looking at young Joseph in the context of that verse in Second Chronicles. And I want you to keep that verse in your mind, for that's a tremendous verse of Scripture. God left him to try him that he might know that all that in his heart. That's the sifting. That's the sifting. Before we turn to Genesis 39, which we do in a wee minute, listen to this. In Psalm 105, we read this about Joseph. He was sold as a slave whose feet were hurt in the fetters. He was weighed down with irons until the word of the Lord tried him, tested him, and sifted him. Turn to Genesis chapter 39. I want to take our time tonight. I'm going to, not going to finish this tonight. But we want to leave plenty of time for prayer. You've come to pray as well as come to hear the word. So open your Bible at Genesis chapter 39. Do we pick up the story of this young teenager, 17 or 18 years of age, by the name of Joseph. Can I say this before we expound a few of these verses? Three of the most prominent Josephs in the Scripture, and there are more than three, there's five or six Josephs in the Scripture, but three of the most prominent Josephs in the Scripture, all of them that were close to Christ, went into the fires of affliction. And if we are keeping close to Christ and following him the way that we should, we will be in the fires of affliction. It's not for the faint-hearted to go through with God. Joseph, the earthly father of our Lord Jesus Christ, went into the fires of affliction to have his espoused wife and pregnant and him not known. He says he thought on these things. I don't know what must have went on in Joseph's mind. It must have been a terrible sifting. And then, of course, there was the black man, Joseph of Arimathea. When the Roman soldiers shouted at him when he was passing or come to the Passover, shouted at him, kept the cross and pulled him out of the crowd and put the cross on his shoulder. I tell you, that was some, some sight. Amy Wilson Carmichael said, you'll not be following the Lord too far without a scar. Hear that? 
You'll not be following the Lord too far without a scar. And the closer we get to him and the closer we get to the glory, the more we can expect attacks of the devil, demons, and hell. Look at verse 1 of 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Let me just stop there. Egypt is a very great and powerful type of the world. We all know that. And most times you read about it, you read about going down to Egypt. It says here that Joseph was brought down to Egypt. You see, the world has a power to lure men and women down. And it says here in this verse 1 that he was brought down twice. The beginning of the verse and at the end of the verse. He didn't go of his own accord. Young men and women that are down in the drugs and in the drink tonight didn't really go of their own accord. There's a power higher drawn and moving and working. Here it was the Ishmaelites that brought him down. Ishmael, Abram's elder son, who came in because of a union with Abraham and Hagar, the Egyptian, and says that he was a wild man. And we know that, the, that he mocked, that Ishmael mocked the despised son of the covenant. And here we have his offshoots here, and they're mocking the beloved son of Jacob. They bound him, they chained him, they humiliated him, they tagged him, they stripped him, they whipped him, and they put him into the ring of the slave market. He's a slave in Egypt. And he's in a ring just like a cat, like a cow or a calf, stripped, chained from a godly home. Praying father, memories of a loving mother, and he couldn't get any lower than he is God. And there's many out there tonight, my friends, couldn't get any lower. Then there come a day when Joseph couldn't have got any higher. And I say, God can lift the sinner. He can lift them. He can't get much lower than a bond slave in Egypt. Joseph could have sang later, 13 years later, by the way, 
Once I was bound in sin's galling fetters, chained like a slave I struggled in vain. But I received a glorious freedom when Jesus, when Jesus broke my fetters in twain. Or he could have sang like Wesley, which I love singing that first verse of Wesley's stanza. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening way. I woke the dungeon flamed with thy, my chains fell off, and I was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Oh, when we go into the prayer meeting tonight, and I hope you can stay, and I hope you fill these seats tonight. When we go into the prayer meeting tonight, let us cry to God to snap the fetters and the chains of our children, of our loved ones, of our families. Because we're told in, Roman, in Hebrews chapter 13, remember those that are in bonds. Remember those that are bound tonight with drugs, bound with drink, bound by pornography, bound by fears. There's only one person can release them, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of prayer. What an awesome shock that must have been for this young man. What an awful change it was from the lovely Vale of Hebron and a praying father and the memories, I say, of a good mother, Rachel. And going through his mind, there was so much in this young man's mind how the brethren had treated him and sold him and how the Ishmaelites had dealt with him, and how he had tracked for days and days and maybe weeks across the Sinai Desert to get down to Egypt. I don't know how he must have thought. But look at verse 2. And here's the secret, my friend. And here you'll read this time and time about Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. That's all that matters. I tell you, nothing else matters, no matter what's going on or where we are or what's happening, as long as the presence of the Lord is with us. That's all that we need. We can fight and we can shout and we can struggle and we can remonstrate and we can do all the rest of it, and wonder that's not fair and this is not fair and why is this not happening and why is that? It doesn't say that the Spirit of the Lord, that the presence of the Lord is not with us. As long as you're sure of that, that's all that matters. I look at verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. What a contradiction. A prosperous slave. Slave that had no rights of his own. He had no say of his own. He was a chattel. He owned nothing. Had nothing. Could have nothing. Born into slavery. Dying into slavery. In slavery. But he was prosperous because the Lord was with him. It's not the material possessions that make you prosperous. It's not the PhD. 
It's not the houses or the cars or the lands or the money. And the boys that have all them are committing suicide nearly every day. My friend, it's none of those things that make you rich. I'm rich tonight. I'm as richer than any king. Hallelujah. Of all the riches of, in Christ. <laughs> the riches of his grace and the riches of his mercy and the riches of his love and the riches of his patience and the riches of his long-suffering. I'm basking in it every day. Glory to God. I wouldn't swap places with any of them. He that was rich yet for our sakes became poor that through his poverty that we might be made rich. There was no one went as low as him or as high as him. We talk, we talk about uh, going down. Going down, I tell you, no, father, no, no man went further than my Jesus. He went down into the deep where there was no standing. And all the waves and billows of God's wrath came over him. Whenever Simeon took him in his arms as an eight-year-old child, he says, this child is set. What for? The rising and... No, no. This child is set for the falling and the rising of many. The falling had to come first. He had to come down before he came up. And we have to go down in the Christian life before we can come up. That's a principle in the Scriptures. We have to come down, we have to get low, we have to get as low as we can go before we can rise up. Don't be trying to get up to the top and don't be trying to get preaching and don't be trying to be doing this or doing that or doing the other thing. You need to humble yourself and get down at his feet. This child is set for the falling and the rising again of many. That's the pattern, that's the plan. Some of you are halfway through life, but you've never been down at his feet. You've never lay at his feet. You've never put everything to one side and spent a week or a day or two days even saying, Lord, my job, my home, my family, my education, my all is done. I count it all but lost that I may win Christ. Have you ever done that and stayed there? The church wouldn't be in the state that it's in tonight if God's people would do that. Our pride and haughtiness. Know nothing about humility. Absolutely nothing, most of us. Talk about following Jesus every day by day. Well, let me I tell you. <laughs> follow him. Follow him onto the cross. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poverized in spirit. Those are the ones that will reach up into the height. Now look at verse 3. As I say, we're taking this easy tonight. We'll be coming back to it maybe next week, maybe the week after if we take a notion. Verse 2 again, And the Lord was with Joseph, he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now what's it? And his master saw that the Lord was with him. He didn't hear that the Lord was with him. 
It wasn't what he said that made Potiphar know that the Lord was with him. We can say all we like. We can testify all we like. He saw it. His boss saw it. Does your boss see it? Hmm? Does your boss see that the Lord is with you, dear? Does your wife see it? Does your husband see it? Go back in the last few days now. Did he see it? Did she see it? Or was the devil with you? Master saw it. The income tax people see it. The VAT account people see it. Employees see it. The master saw, and all that he did prospered, and he made him overseer of the whole business. Potiphar trusted him wholly. He saw in this young man that the Lord was with him. Now, do you see that word for Lord? Well, the Egyptians would have known absolutely nothing about that. That word is Yahweh. And these pagan Egyptians would have known absolutely nothing about Yahweh, the God of Abram and Isaac and of Jacob. So someone must have told them. And it only can have been Joseph. I think that Joseph would have witnessed to him without any problem. Boy, I'll tell you, he, he was attractive for God. Do you know what I was thinking last night when I was going over this? That he was well worth the money that he paid for. <laughs> he got a good bargain. And then I said, Lord, am I well worth the money that you paid for me? That's the thought came to me last night. Lord, did, did you get a good bargain when you got me? Did you get a good bargain when he got you? I mean, he paid a big price for you. <laughs> no man paid a bigger price. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Did he get a good bargain? Can he look at you and say, I see the travail of my soul on the cross and I'm satisfied? Oh, God help us. That he didn't die in vain. That they didn't nail him there, stripped naked and spat on him and crowned him with thorns, the Son of God, for my sins and your sins to get a bad bargain. 
I'd like to develop that, but I haven't time. Verse 4. We're going to read it to verse 7. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. This, was a, this part of it, you know, was a mighty, not only wealthy man, but he was a mighty man with authority. He had the authority to execute. He was executing boys every day, this boy. He was in full control. Verse 5, And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Tell me, is he blessing your work because you're there? Are you fiddling from it and put them out of business? Is he blessing? Is he blessing your work? Is he blessing your home because you're there? He had made him overseer to his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house. That's a big thing. And in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not aught he had saved the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favoured. That means that he was a very good-looking young man and of a very fine physique. Verse 7, And it came to pass that after these things, now here we're back at the Hezekiah scenario, yes, the Hezekiah scenario, He's coming now from the mountaintop. Just take your time and let that sink in. Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, Lie with me. Now let's stop there. This is the word of God. And it was written for us today. He has passed the test of the world with three enemies. With the world, the flesh, and the devil. He has passed the tests of the world. Now there begins another testing, another trying, another sifting. And it's twofold this time because it's the flesh and the devil. This is it now. 
master's wife cast. That word cast is to gaze with a burning desire on the young man. She had already committed adultery then. You know what Jesus said? You know it. Now, usually it's the man that makes the adulterous move. That's a known fact. But it was her. It was part of her wife. So there's two things here that's uh, very prominent and powerful with application for today. There's wife and there's adultery. Things haven't changed. You see, the word wife is mentioned four times. I want you to see this now. It's in verse 7. It's in verse 8. Take your time and pick them up. It's in verse 9. And it's in verse 19. Now even though these were pagan idolaters, the Egyptians, they worshipped the river Nile. They worshipped anything that nearly moved. They worshipped birds and they worshipped insects. They knew nothing about Genesis chapter 2. But you will not read amongst them partnerships. And you will not read amongst them same-sex marriages. Ungodly pagans. That word wife means that they were married. How far have we not gone? When you think of Scotland tonight, the land of the Covenanters, the land of Knox, the land of the Revivals. Nicholas Sturgeon. You got a sh- quick shift. And as Mrs. Bartley said one time about a fella, she couldn't have went quick enough if you got on the back of a hair. How would I have ever thought Scotland? We're not talking about pagans in Egypt. We're talking about so-called Protestants that protested for truth. I had a phone call this evening, and I had this message prepared, and I had this bit down about Scotland. And I had a phone call this evening, pray in your prayer meeting tonight, For Kate Forbes, the young 32-year-old who's contending for the first minister's job in Scotland, 
a devout Christian, praying Christian. This man told me they have mocked her, they have vilified her, they have called her a dinosaur, outmoded, outdated, because of her stand and her views, and you get onto it and you hear and you pray for her. Her views on abortion, sodomy, divorce, and transgenderism. Jacob Rees Moggs came out on her defense, and so did Anne Whittacombe come out on her defense. Of what they're giving that young girl because of her stand for truth. And her opponent is a Muslim. God help us, a Muslim getting in in Scotland, a Hindu in England, a sodomite in Leinster House, and terrorists in Northern Ireland. I don't care what side they come from. Where have we gone? Outmoded, outdated. We hear now, I'm hearing all that we need to adjust. We need to conform. We're living in a new day, in a new age. Heard someone say, we're not living. When, when that Bible was written, sure they thought that the world was round. When the Bible was written, sure they thought that the new sun rose every day, and when they saw the sun go down, it went down into the sea, and another one rose the next day. It's outdated and it's outmoded. And we need to reform. And this word adjust, we need to readjust. We need to readjust to the 21st century. We can't now call him father. We have to call him father and mother. Well, I want to just want send out one text of scripture and I'm almost finished then. I want to send out one scripture text. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And if he is the same yesterday, today and forever, his word is the same. His doctrines are the same. His commandments are the same. His laws are the same. His truths are the same. I am the Lord. I change not. Hallelujah. These old, this is all antiquitous to tell us. Someone said, you're a boy from a leftover generation. Well, I'm glad to be from a leftover generation. Oh, they say we have advanced so much from the donkey. Well, the donkey's not killing thousands of people on the roads every day. Oh, we've advanced, we're... We're advanced scientifically, we're advanced industrially, we're advanced in, advanced in so many different ways. We're educated now. Well, the jails are full tonight. We're smarter now than we're more smart cards and smartphones and everything's smart. But they never had as many people on drugs and on drink and dying. Lie with me, she said. And I love that wee verse, in verse 8. But he, 
refused. I, my friend, listen, once you conform, once we conform and once we adjust one iota, the whole thing's over. You hear me now? The whole thing's over. We must not adjust and we must not conform and we must not turn away from the old truths of God's Word. They can tinker all they like with it and they can change it into translations and do what they like with it, but we must stand by the Word of God. We must refuse, refuse to go down that road. Once it does, and you've seen, all you have to do is look out over the established churches tonight. There's only one service a day and a good lot of them, and some place there's none. We must not conform. Jesus was the greatest nonconformist of all. He preached the word, and if they didn't like it, they left. Paul was the same. We must stick to the old word. And we're going on next week with this because she taunted him day by day. Friend, the devil will never give in. He never gives up in this area. Hear me now, young or old. Hear now, young or old. Destroyed more families, more homes, more churches. Than anything else that he used. And I love this in verse 9. There's none greater in the house than I, he said, neither have they kept has he kept back anything from me but because thou art his wife how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against the Lord let me tell you if adultery was a great wickedness then it's a great wickedness now this is where they say oh no we need to conform it was a great wickedness in John the Baptist day because he got his head taken off for challenging Herod Not lawful for thee to have her. And it's still not lawful. Hey, how, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He was, it wasn't that he was afraid of being caught. It wasn't that he was afraid of Potiphar coming home. It was because the fear of God was in his heart and in his life and the presence of God was with him. And listen, if the fear of God is in your heart and in your life and the presence of God is with you, you'll be nowhere near an adulterer's home. That's what she is, adulterous. You'll be nowhere near it. Oh, I can't understand these people. Oh, I love the word, you know. And I love the prayer meetings and, and I love the preaching at the lifeboat. I've heard, I love it. Oh, I love it all. I love it all. 
And then you said to him, what about, what were you living? How can a man love the word and love the prayer meeting and love God and live for God? How can he live and live like the devil? Doesn't make sense to me. I can't understand it. Other than deception. Massive deception. That's why the spirit, that's why the searchlight needs to go in and it needs the spotlight and it needs to sit. And it needs to sit. And here I'm finished. It needs to sit until you flee. Look at verse 13, look at verse 12. Verse yes, verse 12. And she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in the hand and fled. Look at verse 13. Left his garment in her hand and was fled. Look at verse 15. At the end of it, and fled. Look at verse 18. And fled. What do you think the Holy Spirit put that in for first? He forgot. You think he forgot that he had it in before? No, my friend, there's one thing to do. You young people and older people and other people, there's one thing to do in a situation like this when this testing and this trial of the devil comes. Flee! Flee, man! Flee before you wreck your home and wreck your family and wreck your church. You pastors and ministers out there, listen to me. Flee, man! Flee fornication. Flee adultery. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Flee, man. Flee to the prayer meeting. Flee to the word of God. Flee to repentance. And I'll leave you with a verse, Philippians 4 and verse 8. Don't turn to it. Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, if there be any virtue in those things and any praise in those things, think on these things. Now you go through that in Philippians 4 and 8. Whatsoever things are true, the Lord Jesus. Whatsoever things are honest, the Lord Jesus. Whatsoever things are just, the Lord Jesus. Whatsoever things are pure, the Lord Jesus. Whatsoever things are lovely, the Lord Jesus. Whatsoever things are of good report, the Lord Jesus. If there be any virtue, boy, I'll tell you there's virtue. If any praise, then you just meditate upon him and upon those things. And we'll take this up again next, next Wednesday night. Let us pray.